Good morning, everyone. Believe me when I say I count it a privilege, I count it a divine responsibility to open the Word of God with the people of God, especially as we see the day growing darker and darker, which we see happening in our country. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would quiet every voice and every noise that clamors for our attention. I pray, Lord, that you would brood over this place by your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us now. We pray, Lord, that we would have those ears that you speak of in your word that hear. Give us these ears to hear. Break up the fallow ground of our heart and help us to receive the seed of your word. Cause that word to take root and to bear the fruit of repentance and faith and courage and boldness and zeal and holiness and righteousness in our lives, Lord. Bless these people, Lord. Bless this local body, part of the greater body of Christ. Bless us individually and collectively, Lord, with a greater knowledge of yourself. Give us the grace we need, Lord, to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses and to truly follow you, proving ourselves to be true disciples and good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated because you've been standing a long time, and then turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Probably one of the most asked questions by Christians is, what is God's will for my life? And it is a good question to be asked. We as Christians need to be ultimately concerned with God's will for our lives. God's will for our lives need to be the priority of our lives. But I think that we often agonize about what God would have us to do, or what God would have us to be, or where God would have us to go. I believe that we cause ourselves a lot of unnecessary grief and anxiety at trying to figure out what the will of the Lord is, as if it were some mysterious mystery, or if it was some riddle. I submit to you this morning that God's will is not a hidden mystery. It's an open revelation in his word that he wants you to understand. If I were to put it in a sentence, it would be that God's will, his will for your life, is that our wills be completely conformed to his. And that our minds be renewed 
by his word. That is what is meant by Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, the totality of your being, the entirety of yourself. You present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we give ourselves like this completely to the Lord, the rest of his will opens up to you. When we yield ourselves to his will, we'll understand his will. Jesus put it like this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things, all of these lesser things, will unfold, will be added to you. Make the will of God, make the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God your priority, and everything else in your life will fall into place. It's rather peaceful, it's rather liberating. All we have to do is seek God first, put God first. In the beginning, God. God should be in the beginning of everything in our lives, and everything else will fall into place. It's not a matter of figuring out God's will for my life, but rather yielding my life unreservedly to God's will being conformed to his will, being shaped by it. And you will find that the more seriously you take God's word and study it and get into it and yield yourself to it, the greater understanding you will have of God's will. The more you obey what has already been revealed because so much of his will is already revealed to us, and the more you obey what has already been revealed to you, the more those other things will open up that seem dark. Quite candidly, I think the reason that God's will seems like such a mystery to us and so difficult to discern or to figure out is because, quite frankly, we're not really after God's will. We're after God's approval for our own will. And that's where the problem comes in. I'm confident that the more you know God's word the more you will know his will. And our passage that we have read this morning is just one of many biblical passages that discern and define and instruct us in God's will. I want to begin in verse 17, a little out of order, because I believe it really ties it all together. Let's look at verse 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This at the very least suggests that there is wisdom in understanding the will of the Lord and that it is unwise on our part as Christians not to know what the will of the Lord is. So as I've already mentioned, the Lord is not hiding his will from us. It's not a difficult riddle or puzzle to be solved. He's revealing it to us. And he's not only revealing it to us, he is exhorting us with all of the authority of God Almighty to obey it and to understand it. We can put it like this again in a sentence. God's will is for us to understand his will and to walk in it. And in so doing, we will prove ourselves wise. And then beginning at this verse and broadening out to the other verses in our passage, as well as other passages in the scripture, we will discern and we will know what the will of the Lord is. You will leave here today knowing what the will of the Lord is. And that puts a tremendous responsibility on you. No more excuses. (laughs) Notice in verse 17, we're told not to be unwise, but to understand. And then in verse 15, we're told not to walk as fools, but as wise. 
God's will for his children is always that his children would have understanding and would behave wisely. A Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is never to live like a fool. We're never to live like the rest of the foolish, unsaved world. God in Christ, with everything else that he has delivered us from, he's delivered us from a life of foolishness. Take it from a man who lived the majority of his life in utter foolishness and then has come to know the Lord. He delivers us from foolishness. An unwise person or a fool is simply a person who either rejects or ignores the authority and the wisdom that is bound up in God's word in order that they may live life according to the dictates of their own sinful and selfish heart. That's what a fool is. They despise the light. They despise wisdom and instruction. That's what we're told in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It is one of the wisdom books that constantly draws a contrast between the wise and the foolish, between the wise, which we are to be, and the foolish, which we are not to be. If we would only take the time to study it and yield ourselves to the authority of it, it would go a long way in teaching us the wisdom that we need to be walking in. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. That's where it starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You take those words, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, they're all bound up in revering or fearing the Lord. They're all bound up in being in a right relationship to Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. That's what Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 talks about. All wisdom and knowledge are bound up in Him, in Jesus Christ. We have that as we know Him and yield ourselves to Him. When we give ourselves to this end, it will be revealed in our walk. And if you look at verse 15, God's will is very concerned with our walk. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. The Bible has so much to say about the way we walk. And walk, as the Bible refers to it, simply refers to our daily conduct, our direction our manner of living, the way we live our life. Life is nothing but a journey made up of several steps. And God is concerned with those steps, that walk that we make through life. We're told to walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means watchful, discreet, serious, sober, alert, awake. We are to make our way through life living cautiously, soberly, being watchful and prayerful. Jesus exhorted his disciples over and over, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. That's what it means to walk circumspect. You survey the church and you survey Christian lives. So many Christians make shipwreck out of their lives simply because they are not walking circumspectly. They are not taking the things of God seriously. And their lives reveal it. They run foolishly along life's path. Everything is a joke to them. This should never be the case with us. Because again, we're to live our lives under the authority of God's word. And God's word will direct our lives. It's not just a Sunday morning sermon. This is where God wants us to be. He wants to protect us. He wants our lives to be circumspect. He wants our lives to emanate with wisdom. Because there's a dark and dying world that needs it. 
Now, what I want to do and as it relates to this walk that God wants us to have, I want to rattle off to you several passages of Scripture. You won't have time to turn to them unless you're very quick. I suggest you jot them down. But I'm going to read them off, and then I'm going to put them together and kind of paraphrase them into one paragraph so we kind of get a picture of the walk that we're to have as Christians. Beginning with Psalm 1, verse 1, speaking of the blessed man, the truly happy human being, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or worldly counsel. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, do not enter the path of wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the lust of the flesh. And finally, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we can continue to pile up verse after verse and passage after passage as it relates to God's will for our walk, his desire for the direction in life we take. But let me just take all of those passages and kind of paraphrase them for you into a paragraph. Our walk is not to be directed by ungodly or worldly people, nor are we to enter the path of wickedness or walk in the path of evil. But God has shown us what is good and what he requires that we do what is right, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with him. For in baptism we have been buried with Christ, representing death to self. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too are raised to walk in newness of life. This means walking properly as in the day, not in partying and drinking, not in sexual immorality, not in bickering and jealousy. Instead, we are to walk by faith in God, trusting in Him and not in our own understanding or sight. If we walk by the power of His Spirit within us, we won't be given to the lust of the flesh. We must remember that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to walk in the work that He has given us to do. And that walk is intimately connected to verse 16. Therefore, redeem the time, for the days are evil. God's will for your life, if it is a mystery to you, let me solve it. God's will for your life is that you would not waste the time that he has given you. Psalm 90, chapter verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now we often hear people say, and maybe we've said it ourselves, that I just can't find the time. Whether we're referring to attending church, or being in prayer, or being in Bible study. We hear people say that I can't find the time. But I tell you that want of time is not the issue. Waste of time is the issue. 
Because we always have time for what is important to us. If Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and his righteousness is important to you, you will never lack the time to be in his presence, to be in his will, to be in his word. You simply will not. We talked about walking in wisdom, and now we talk about redeeming the time, and Psalm 90, verse 12, really brings them both together. Because to number our days means to recognize that there is a definite number to our days. We are only given so much time. And we are to recognize that we're only given so much time, and we're we're to use the time that has been given to us wisely. In the New Testament, James, by the Holy Spirit, in chapter 4, verse 14, writes, Whereas you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, I know you've heard this before. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And even if you add up all of your yesterdays with all of your tomorrows that you're not guaranteed, what does it really add up to? It doesn't add up to very much. Time is very short. And then it's gone. This is why we often hear older people say, where does the time go? How fast life has gone. Because as they reflect on their lives, it's gone. I am beginning to say this now as I am growing older. One moment I'm playing Legos with my two sons. And now I'm playing Legos with my granddaughter. And I don't know what happened in between. Something happened. But that's how quickly time goes. Even my sons now realizing that their 20s are giving way to their 30s. Very quickly. The point is that time is in short supply and it cannot be wasted. Yet how appalling it is to see how much time we do waste. It's an easy target, but just consider television. You know, I read sermons when television first came out and the way the church and and pastors responded to it, their fear that it would take away time from Bible reading, how right they were. The last stats I heard was that the average American, which would include Christians, the average American spends eight hours a day in front of a television set. That doesn't include sleeping and work and all of the other things. Eight hours a day in front of a television set. And now with social media and the endless forms of entertainment, there's no time left. No longer are people on their knees before an open Bible with nothing but an oil lamp as the great saints of the past were. Now we're bowing down to the latest electronic device. And I'm not anti-technology in any stretch of the imagination. But those things consume us. They dominate us. You add to this the time whittled away and endless hours of vain and pointless conversations that profit nothing. Then all of the hobbies and pastimes that we Americans are inundated and intoxicated with. That we're engaged in to satisfy our insatiable appetite for entertainment. There's a reason it's called pastime. We engage in it to pass the time. But the Bible says we're not to pass the time, we're to redeem the time. And we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. God's will for us is not that we fritter away our lives like a bunch of drug zombies staring at a computer screen for endless hours on end. His will is that you redeem the time He's given you because the days are evil. 
And to redeem the time means to buy back, to take possession of the time we have, to use it for worship, to use it for service, to use it to glorify God. I don't think I need to convince you that we're not living in the days of paradise that Adam and Eve were brought into. And we are not yet living in the kingdom age where every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. We are living in days that are evil. We are living in days that are violent and rebellious. We are living in days that are full of death and sorrow and pain and suffering. We are living in days of war and rumors of war. We are living in days of upheaval and natural disaster. We are living in days when the Christian church is departing from the truth. We're living in days of perilous times. We're living in days when many are rejecting the truth, ignoring the truth, despising the truth. We're living in days where many have never heard the truth. So we do not have time to waste in pursuing our own comfort and ease and pleasure and entertainment while the world burns. We are here for a purpose. Almighty God has a will for our lives. Time is a gift, and we only have so much of it. It must be redeemed. It must be used wisely. Now, I want to suggest to you four ways to redeem the time. If you have at all drifted, come back and listen to these four ways to redeem the time. I don't know if they're the only four ways to redeem the time, but I promise you, if you apply these four ways to your life in redeeming the time, you really won't have time for anything else. Number one, because so many of us or so many who call themselves Christians are appallingly ignorant of the scriptures because of time wasted elsewhere, the number one time to redeem, the number one way to redeem the time is by getting back into the book. Forty minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough time for you to know your Bibles. You have to know it for yourselves. How are you going to know what the preacher is preaching, if he's preaching truth or not, unless you know the book? You have a Holy Spirit that God has given to you to indwell you, and you have a Bible. Know it. We are to be in the book. We are to spend quality time in the Word of God for ourselves. Again, let me refer to Psalm 1, verse 2. Speaking of that blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, or in the Word of the Lord, and in his Word he meditates day and night. That man is blessed because he's in the Word of God much. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That still applies. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. And may I add, then you will be redeeming the time. Jesus himself says, if you remain in my word, abide in my word, then you are my disciples. You're not a Christian because you raised your head and bowed your head, raised your hand and bowed your head and repeated some superstitious prayer. You are a Christian because you've turned to God, put your faith in Jesus Christ, are born again, washed by his shed blood, and are a new creation in Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit to do his holy will. We redeem the time by spending it in his word. It's a glorious expenditure of time. Number two, and I'm blessed to hear how much prayer this church is engaged in, because number two is 
redeeming the time by using it for prayer. The two great disciplines that should occupy much of a Christian's time are prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's what should occupy the church's time. That's what should occupy individual Christians that make up the church. Prayer is that great power and privilege that accomplishes so much but is engaged in so little. Unfortunately, we have exchanged prayer for programs. The creativity of man-made things has replaced time in prayer. Folks, the only way we're going to have victory in the world is through prayer. You look at the life of Christ and you read how he spent nights in prayer, and that's the Son of God. How he spent nights in prayer, and you consider the apostles throughout the book of Acts. Their lives were saturated with prayer. You study the the biographies of Christian men and women throughout church history, and you see their lives were consumed with prayer. Prayer was a priority in their lives. God's will for us is to be men and women of prayer. There's no excuse for why we aren't. Prayer is to occupy much of our time. It's a discipline, and we by nature do not like discipline. We're not self-disciplined. Many Christian lives are shipwrecked. Many ministries fail. Many churches close their door simply for a lack of serious prayer. Time is short and the needs are many. We need to redeem the time. And we need to redeem the time by using more of the time we have for praying instead of playing. Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 1, introduced a parable, but he introduced it with this. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Many have stopped praying because they lose heart. Because the answer doesn't come as quickly as they'd like or it's not the answer they would like. But again, the more surrendered you are to the word of God and the will of the Lord, whatever answer he gives, you'll be thankful and you will rejoice. Number three, discipleship is the third way to redeem the time. Being Christians are first and foremost disciples. We were disciples long before the name Christian came along. And being a disciple is a follower of Christ. A great way to redeem the time is actually to get to the business of following Jesus Christ. And this, of course, includes the two means I've already referred to, prayer and the word. When you truly understand the commitment involved to being a biblical Christian as opposed to an American cotton candy Christian, being a true disciple instead of a Disneyland disciple, and you set yourself to following Christ with that purpose, with that passion, with that priority, with that fire. When I, when I say that, with that fire, I always think of Elijah who called down fire from heaven on that cold, dead, wet, water-saturated altar. That's what we need to do. We need to call on God for that fire of heaven to come down and ignite the altar of our hearts and to have that fire burning within us. When you set yourself to following Jesus Christ as a biblical Christian as a true disciple, you'll find you have time for nothing else. Everything else becomes a distraction. And I think it's important to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ says and what the Word of God says as a whole as it relates to being a Christian. What does that mean? And I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, at least we get an idea. Paul writes there by the Holy Spirit, Do you not know, do you not understand yet, That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own. 
If we can just figure that out, we don't belong to ourselves. Our life is not ours. It has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Live for him. When we are saved, we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. That is the price paid. His shed blood bought our lives, released us from the prison. We belong to him. We are bondservants of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. Our time, our lives, our possessions, our everything belong to him. We sing that, right? All to Jesus we surrender. All to him we freely give. When we spend our time in selfish and worldly interest, we're not redeeming the time. We're simply wasting it. Do you understand that we're here in time and space? We have so much time and space. Then we enter into heaven, all of the glory, all of the joy. Like the brother said, joy, period. All of heaven. We have all of heaven to enjoy ourselves. Now's the time to be in the fight, to be in the work. Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 24, really touches on this and makes it very clear. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And you understand what he's saying. He's saying whoever clings to this life and holds on to this life and tries to live his life for himself, you will lose it. But whoever loses it, yields it, Romans 12, 1 and 2, gives it up for God, then you will save it. For everything else this verse may teach, it teaches that life and everything that is given to us is to be used for his sake. Number four. Redeeming the time by making disciples. See, not only are we to be disciples ourselves, practicing discipleship, following and obeying the Lord, but we are to spend much of our time pointing others to Christ. What a glorious mission. We are to be teaching others about Jesus Christ. We are to encourage others about following him. We prayed that this morning again, the Great Commission, right? Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you believe that? That's his command to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the purpose of the church, to make disciples, that those disciples can go out and reach the lost. Just imagine what our community and our culture and our country would look like if the individual people that make up the church, because that's what the church is, the living stones coming together to create the temple of God, if we would go forth and do that. And believe me, I exhort myself with equal enthusiasm, as I am exhorting you. God's will is that we redeem the time, that we walk circumspectly as wise, that we go forth and make disciples, but make sure that you take the time to be a disciple yourself. And then as we continue in his will, in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if what I preach sounds very difficult... You can relax because verse 18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God calls us to do impossible things and then he gives us the ability to do those impossible things. 
Now, I want to spend more time on the positive side of this verse rather than the negative because I'm such a positive guy. (laughs) But I think a few words here are needed as it relates to being or not being drunk with wine. Hopefully, we are all mature and reasonable enough Christians to understand that God's will for your life is to be for you to be sober and not drunk. Hopefully we understand that. That faith in Jesus Christ not only brings forgiveness of sin, but deliverance from sin of which drunkenness is. You don't need a 12-step program. You need Jesus Christ. Any alcohol, someone that's addicted to alcohol and in bondage to alcohol, drugs, or anything else, Christ is what is needed. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son has set you free, and you are free indeed. And being delivered from sin, we should no longer walk in it. We walk in newness of life. Instead of being drunk with wine or under the influence of anything or anyone else, we are exhorted here to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we first believe, when we're converted, when we're born again, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. But here we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit of God means being dominated by God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It means having the mind of God, the mind of Christ, being dominated by God. Controlled by God, under the influence of God, under the influence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a command to be obeyed. And it is more than a one-time event. The actual language there is be being filled. We constantly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are leaky vessels. That's why he exhorts us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be much in God's presence, seeking his Spirit. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Every hour, and I'm not exaggerating, exaggerating, every hour of every day, we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's how bad the flesh is. That's how bad the world is. But before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must first be baptized and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which is, happens at conversion and is a one-time event. One baptism, one spirit, one body. That's what baptism means. When we first put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're baptized or identified with the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that happens at conversion. Then in order to continually be filled with the Spirit, we must acknowledge and confess and forsake any and all known sin in our lives. I live in the same world you do. I have the same flesh that you do. I know what it's like to struggle with sin. We struggle with it. We don't yield to it. We don't make excuses for it. We confess it. We forsake it. So we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't have the Holy Spirit and sin too. He is too holy. He is too pure to occupy a vessel that is occupied with sin. Then as we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which I've referred to several times, we must then surrender our total being to God. See, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be under total control. You can't say, well, fill me with your Holy Spirit, but let me chart the course. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit, and we can only be filled as we yield ourselves to him. We must be first emptied of self. No greater exhortation 
than when Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I think all of us, if we've walked with the Lord for any length of time, have discovered that self is the greatest enemy to the Christian life. I think even more so than the devil himself. Self. That's why Jesus said, that's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. We need to be crucified to the world and the world crucified to us. We need to be emptied of self in order to be filled with the Spirit. And then finally, and this is my favorite one, because it's easy. We are filled with the Holy Spirit simply by getting before our Heavenly Father and asking Abba, fill me with your Spirit. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 13, if you then, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, if you then being evil, which we are, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, which we do, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is not evil, but good and holy, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Test him and see. How much, Lord? How much more, Lord, will you give me your Holy Spirit? I know how to give good gifts to my sons. How much more will you give me the Holy Spirit? And ask him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, being under the influence of wine, do not be drunk with wine, that causes a certain type of behavior. Goofiness. We've all seen drunk people. I can go on with story. I've been a cop for 23 years. We've all seen drunk people. They have no self-control. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you act goofy. It means you walk circumspectly. It means you behave wisely. It means you have self-control. It means you have power to live the Christian life. Now, the reason that God says that he wills and commands that we be filled with the Holy Spirit is that we can accomplish everything that he's given us to do. It's a glorious plan that he has. He saves you apart from yourself, apart from works. He sanctifies you. He fills you with your spirit. He prepares work for you to walk in. He empowers you to do that work. And then he rewards you for doing that work. He really stacks the deck in our favor. Do not try to live the Christian life in the flesh. We've all tried it. I think every Christian tries it. At some point, you're trying to please God in the flesh. But it's not by the power of the human spirit. It's not by strength. That's what Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says. Hear the word of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit is how we get the job done. The Christian life is a supernatural life from beginning to end, lived out in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And you consider everything we've talked about this morning, and I am almost done, so hang in there. You talk about every, you look at everything we talked about. The Christian life is a radical life. It's supposed to be. We are separate from the world. We don't live like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't dress like the world. We don't think like the world. And we need the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to do that. And we have Him. We have Him. Now, as we go through this verse, the things that characterize the Holy Spirit is what I've already talked about, the power, the power to live the Christian life. But then as you look in verse 19, we see joyfulness, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This has to do with the expressive joy, which is different than happiness that depends on circumstances, the expressive joy that overflows a person that is occupied with the Lord. When you know a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit, well, you'll know them. They can't speak of anything but the Lord. There's this expressive joy in him speaking of spiritual songs. It doesn't mean he goes around serenading you, but there's this expressive joy that comes out of his life. And then in verse 20, giving thanks always, 
Okay. We can give thanks for the good things, but it says giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine your life. Are you thankful? Because someone that is possessed and filled with the Holy Spirit, they will have a heart of gratitude. I told a brother who asked how I was doing, I, I, I'm blessed on every side. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. My cup runs over. I am nervous because I'm so blessed. You know, I'm always waiting for the hammer to fall. I'm superstitious that way. I am thankful. I have need of nothing because God has provided everything. I am blessed. I am blessed because of God. I am blessed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am blessed because of the word of God. Someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. The evidence is not craziness. The evidence is thankfulness. And they will be thankful for all things. They are spiritually mature enough to recognize that God uses unpleasant and difficult circumstances in our lives to prune us. To mature us. We don't like that, but when you get to a level of maturity where you recognize it's the hand of the Lord. Job. When you, Job lost everything. Job scares me to death. But Job said, though he slay me, I will praise him. Because Job didn't worship God for the blessings. He worshiped God because God is God. That's why we worship him. Knowing that all things, even bad things, work together for good to those who love God. So we can be thankful for all things. We need to be thankful. Veil of tears. The persecuted church. Voice of the martyr. Study what's going on in the rest of the world. How some Christians are living They're losing everything. They're losing their spouses before their very eyes, their children before their very eyes. They have to walk miles to get to church. Their church buildings are being burned down, and they are praising the Lord. One martyr was out, a Christian in North Korea, said, they were out, how can we pray for you? How can the Christians in the West pray for you? And he said, you don't need to pray for us. We need to pray for you. And then verse 20, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. A person that's filled with the Holy Spirit will be in complete submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in being so, we will be in submission to one another in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with a haughty, proud, self-assertive, dominating person. The Spirit-filled person is meek and not weak. I don't like the word weak. I was a U.S. Marine. I don't like weak. I like meek. Meek, humble, willing to yield, looking to esteem others as more important than themselves. Oh, if we can just be delivered from a spiritually competitive spirit and just serve one another in the body of Christ. Always looking to maintain unity among the brethren. Now this does not mean that a person that is filled with the Spirit will not confront or rebuke or exhort the body of Christ. Because then I would be out of work. Now, we started this morning, we opened up this morning with looking at how perplexed a Christian can be in trying to discern the will of God for their lives. And I just close with these, with these things, with just a summary. Hopefully this message has opened it up a little bit to you. There's no reason to be confused about the will of God for your lives. It is completely revealed to us in his word. And if we yield ourselves to these things, it will open up. Just daily we'll be living and find ourselves in the midst of his will. God's will for our life is to, one, understand his will. He wants you to understand his will. He desires for you to understand his will. He's not hiding it from you. His will is that we walk circumspectly. This is very important because, let's face it, the American church, the American Christianity is goofy. It is silly. It is 
It is what Paul talked about. There'll come a time when they will not put up a sound doctrine, but drum up teachers to satisfy their itching ears. Pastors have become stand-up comedians and storytellers and entertainers. We don't need that. His will is that we walk circumspectly, that we behave wisely, that we don't behave foolishly. His will is that we redeem the time. This is very serious. It's very near and dear to my own heart. Redeem the time. I only have so much time left. I've wasted so much of my life in foolish living before coming to know the Lord. I don't have time to do that anymore. I only have time to know Him more and more and to make Him known. And that's all I want to do. And that's all you should want to do. It doesn't mean you don't have the cares of life. You still have a family. You still have work. I get it. But it's all in line with the will of the Lord. His will is that you be thankful. Remember the Old Testament. Those people weren't thankful and God opened the earth and swallowed them. Just remember that. They were examples. They complained. They murmured. And God was not pleased with them. And then lowliness, humility. Just being meek and lowly. Recognizing from where it is that God has delivered you. Recognizing that Christians aren't perfect yet. Recognizing that, that sinful behavior out there is because those people lie under the sway of the wicked one and they do not know the Lord and they need to know the Lord. Now that is for Christians. And I suspect, I don't know for sure, But I suspect that most of you, if not all of you, are are Christians. If you are not, if you are here today because someone forced you to come to church, a mom, a dad, a husband, or a wife, God has a will for the unbelieving and unsaved. God's will is not that none would perish, but all repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God's will is that you would know his Son. God does not desire anyone to perish. He has no joy in the death of the wicked. God's will for the unsaved person is to turn to God and put their faith in Jesus Christ and be born again. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits a soul? I don't understand why people continue to live their life apart from Jesus Christ for the little scraps of whatever they're after in this life. Money, wine, women, song, the party, bigger things, this and that. And they forsake the things of God, and then they come to the end of the life. And what do those things matter? Know the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, which means turn to God, putting your absolute trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, which are many, and be born again. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word and we're thankful for your Holy Spirit that gives us the ability, the power, the strength to obey your word. Lord, I sense that every person here wants to yield their lives to you in this manner that we've studied this morning. Father, we want to walk circumspectly. We don't want to live as fools. We want to redeem the time. We know the time is short. We know the days are evil. We know that Christ's return is imminent, and we know there are still lost people out there that need to hear of him. I pray, Lord, now on behalf of everyone that stands before you, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Encourage our hearts. Give us that joy where we can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in our heart to you, Lord. That thankful spirit, that humble spirit, but Lord, also a bold and zealous spirit for the things of God. We thank you and praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.